In case you missed the news, a few days ago, David Clymer, the longtime Tennessean columnist and my former colleague, died at age 66 from pancreatic cancer. Slightly less than a month ago, David was guest number 136 on Two Writers Singing Yang, and I'd like to hijack this normally chipper introduction with something he told me during that interview. Looking back over the whole, I, I'd change a lot of things. I'd change the way I approached some stories. I'd change the way I wrote some stories. I'd I'd change, frankly, the way I treated some people, but changing career path, absolutely not. Rest in peace to a true gentleman of the pen. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode features Langston Newsom, the 2019 University of Missouri grad and a staff writer for the Columbia Tribune. We talk about entering the business when so many are fleeing, spending 60 bucks on an Uber to cover a high school game, and why race doesn't always matter when it comes to profile writing. This is episode number 139. Let's sling some yay. All right, Langston. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Where are you as we speak? I am currently in my room begging that uh, my roommates don't make any noise and ruin this podcast. <laughs> That's okay. We're to add some ambiance. You know, I just said to you two seconds ago, this podcast had about 130 guests, and I would say the vast majority are people probably in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. People have been doing this for a while, people with experience, people, people who came along like I did. In the 90s, when you you almost knew for certain there was a newspaper job out there, and then you'd probably get, you'd aim for a bigger newspaper job, and then maybe you'd go to a magazine, and there's no such thing as tweeting, there's no such thing as posting, there's no Instagram, there's no TikTok, any of that. Like, your job was to write. You recently graduated from the University of Missouri, an excellent, excellent journalism school. You were a print and digital news sports journalism major. I think what a lot of people would ask, why the hell would someone enter this field in the year 2019, 2020? That's a great question because, you know, you look on Twitter, you see online things would happen with Deadspin, things happening with Sports Illustrated. There's a lot of turnover, a lot of change happening in this industry. And I guess for me, the only reason I really decided this is what I wanted to do is because I love sports. And I knew at a young age, you know, I'm only five nine. There's no way in hell I was actually going to be able to play sports past high school. And so I went to college kind of thinking, you know, I want to be involved. Sports journalism seemed like the only way. And from there, I really had to learn that I had to fall in love with the actual journalism part. And I think that's what kept me in sports journalism as a major. And now that I'm out of college working for the Tribune, it's what keeps me coming back is I love the, you know, the process of interviewing, gathering facts and really kind of putting two together. I've got a couple of notebooks where I just sketch out everything. I, you know, you talked about being in an age with like Twitter and TikTok and everything. I love just pen and paper, mapping things out, writing things down, writing quotes down and kind of putting these things together and stringing a bunch of different pieces and a bunch of different parts and then making that into a story. Do you at all feel like you are a a child of the wrong era? You know, um, no, I I definitely think that things are changing. Print and digital jobs are or newspaper jobs more specifically are just kind of shifting into more digital jobs, more things for online. Um, and I definitely think there's a place for storytelling, good storytelling in the future. It just might not be in a newspaper, which I'm you know, completely fine with. I work for a newspaper right now 
and I enjoy that. But you know, the type of writing that I do, there will always be a, always be a place for it. It just might not be in a, in a paper. You graduated from high school in in Tampa, Florida. Did you go to Missouri specifically because of the journalism program? Uh, definitely. Um, you hear about Mizzou, and I mean, I'd heard it's the best journalism school in the nation, and but you really don't understand it till you get here. Uh, like I said earlier, I knew I kind of wanted to be involved in sports. So in high school, I dabbled in writing, but I wasn't really serious. Um, and so I get here and kids are talking about AP style and kids are talking about working for different papers in high school. And I'm like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. So, I mean, you don't really realize till you get here in Columbia, but it's like, it's a pretty serious business. And I think it's really kind of cutthroat at that school. And, and it's good for preparing you for, uh, you know, post, post college. But I'm actually really fascinated because um, when I was coming up, I went to University of Delaware, which is not a journalism power. And um, you go to Delaware and you'd show up at the student newspaper and journalism wasn't even a major. So you would uh, you could concentrate in journalism. I probably took four total journalism classes at Delaware. And the main thing was working for the paper and you can cover. I was covering uh, football as a sophomore. You know, you had a lot of opportunities when you get to Missouri. which is right there, like you mentioned, with, with, with Syracuse and Northwestern as kind of the powers of, of college journalism. Um, what are you walking into? Um, well, just, you know, being an out-of-state kid, I knew I wouldn't really know anyone. So I reached out to the Maneater, which is the student publication, and I was covering uh, Mizzou women's soccer the, the second I stepped on campus. And so that oh. kind of gave me the footing for, you know, trying to understand and learn. And it's like learning right on the fly. It's like, I didn't know AP style going into this. I really didn't know how to craft a story. I read a lot, but I didn't really do much writing in high school. So kind of learning on the fly with that covered Mizzou uh, women's soccer, and then went on to cover uh, Mizzou wrestling. And then from there, you move from the man eater over to the Columbia Missourian. And then I also got the opportunity to write for Power Mizzou. And then I ultimately ended up freelancing for the Columbia Tribune before I started to work with them. So, I mean, I was writing from day one, which is what kind of separates the Missouri School of Journalism from other schools. But I definitely do understand is like if you don't get involved early, I can see how you can kind of feel alienated when you come to especially at a school like Missouri. But is everyone good? You know, like you walk in and you have no real journalism experience whatsoever. and freshman year you're 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 covering soccer um are you surrounded by people who know exactly what they're doing and you have no clue what you're doing and that's definitely how i felt i i mean i don't know if the people surra- surrounding me freshman year were good but i knew i was definitely bad um <laughs> so it was a lot of learning on the fly from that and you've got kids who you know they're telling you ever since like middle school i knew i wanted to do this and i've been a member of apse and i've done this and i've done that and i'm just like you know, we'll see if this writing thing works. And if not, maybe I might have to change majors. So, I mean, it's definitely you feel people like to tell you they know what they're doing. <laughs> and they want you to know that they think they know what they're doing. So it's actually an interesting thing. We we used to have this debate all the time. Like, does a great writer have the talent from the beginning? And someone who doesn't have that talent can never be a great writer? Or can anyone learn to be a writer? Like, how did you even learn to do it? Well, I would say number one is just reps. Um, you know, you've got two, three soccer games a week and then that's rolling right into wrestling. For me, it was just like continually writing and reading everyone else's stuff. I, I mean, I know it sounds silly and I know every teacher is going to tell you, Hey, you should, you know, read, actually read journalism, but it helps so much. I don't think I really started reading with a purpose 
until my junior year. And that's where things really kind of changed for me. And then also just understanding that right away, you're not going to know your voice. Um, I'm still searching for mine. I, I don't necessarily think I'm a good writer right now. I just don't think I'm bad anymore. And so it's about, you know, hopefully, you know, if I'm blessed to continue in this industry, it's about finding my voice and continuing to get better. Um, cause I think that's important. And, you know, kids think they go into, you know, they come into college thinking that they have to know exactly how they write or know every single technical rule. No, I mean, there's a time for you to really experiment and kind of figure out what do you want to do and how do you want to write and what stories you want to tell. Um, so I definitely don't think, you know, you're born a great writer and you just continue from there. I think most people probably are terrible writers to begin with. And if they tell you differently, they're probably lying. I mean, there's yeah. exceptions, of course, like Seth Wickersham or like Ryan Thompson, but they were probably always great writers. But for me personally, I was awful at the beginning. I would actually disagree with that. I don't think um, I don't think Ryan Thompson or like Seth. I, I would think if you went back and read their stuff when they were in high school, they were probably bad, too, you know, because you don't really know what the hell you're doing. Until you dabble in it, don't you think? Definitely, definitely. I mean, especially with uh, Michael Nicely, who is the head of sports at the Columbia uh, Missourian, and then Gabe Yarman, uh, my first boss with uh, Paramazoo. One of the greatest things that Gabe ever told me is like, you're not a good writer, not yet. And he basically talked me through how he looks through his past articles and he looks through his past work and he's like, he cringes at it. And he was like, and this is from a few months ago. It's about continually looking at your work and trying to get better and understanding something you write a month ago, you're going to look back at it and be like, Oh, I could have done one more interview or, Oh, I could have written this different. I could have sequenced this in a better way. So, I mean, that's how I try to look at my stuff is, you know, even the clips that I sent you. I mean, if I went back to them right now, I would say, Oh no, this is awful. I could have done this 10 different ways. And, you know, luckily um, with deadlines, things like that, you know, as a journalist, you don't really have the time to ponder over every single word. So, Wait, how does it feel when he says you are not a good writer? You know, in a weird way, I loved it. I felt like it was someone being completely honest with me um, in that moment. And I mean, he wasn't like being mean about it. And I, I, I think I know now more of what he meant uh, than I did at the time, which was at the end of my junior year. So last year. Um, he was just trying to tell me that, you know, there's so much more to improve on. And, you know, I put, I felt like I put in quality work, but at the time, but now I look back into it, I think I could have done more. I could have done more features. Uh, my previews could have been more in depth. I felt like I kind of fell into this kind of rhythm, uh, with women's basketball and I could have done more. And he was basically letting me know that, but it was okay that I could have done more because I was so young in this business and that was my first real job. So, I mean, I loved it. And, you know, that's the type of feedback that, you know, I would I like when I continue to hear that you need to inform me when I can do better, when you feel like I'm getting into a rut with my writing, because that that only helps. All right, so what do you mean? Like you said, um, you fell into a rhythm looking back covering women's basketball. Are you referring to sort of lazy habits or lazy interviewing or just getting a little casual? Like, what, what does that mean? For me, that means having a formulaic way of the way I structured my articles and my previews for that i had a breakdown it was not really like a checklist but you know we look at the starters we look at you know bench players we look at the key matchups things like that and so in that that gave me a lot of structure which was helpful because i didn't really know how to approach that beforehand but from there i felt like over the course of the season especially as we got into sec play i'm looking for the same things in each teams and not really looking for something different a different story to tell it through that preview and then when it comes to gamers i mean I, I think my gamers are pretty much different every time because I try to pick a moment 
Um, and, and with sports, anything can happen. And so from there, you, you, you pick a moment and you build from there. So it's really things outside of uh, your traditional gamers, which are dying anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, that's oh, yeah. a whole Is nother there... conversation, though. No, actually, let's have that conversation. I'm interested in that. So you um, do gamers matter anymore? Is there a reason? Is there? All right. So I teach college out here at a uh, it's interesting. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the advisor to the student newspaper at a, at a school out here called Chapman University. and I've talked to the sports editor a lot about gamers and whether they're worth ever doing. I don't know, Langston. Are they ever, are they worth ever doing? Are they, is it worth it learning how to write a game story in 2020? You know, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I've had the same um, conversation with the uh, sports editor at the Tribune, Kevin Grayler. And there, there are moments where it's worth it, whether it's a big matchup, whether it's a crosstown matchup, or you've got two undefeated teams. There is a place, and there will always be a place for gamers. I think the format has to change. This, this idea of we're going to write this quick, you know, 400 to 500 word detailing the big plays of the game, and that's it. That gamer is kind of worthless now just because you have Twitter. I mean, you've got schools tweeting out big plays. You have schools, um, you know, with video departments that record everything and they can put things on Twitter 10 minutes, you know, after the play happens and your article's coming, what, the hour, half, two hours after the game. Um, so I think it's about conceptualizing things and putting things into context. That's what really can set a gamer apart. And it's really about the athletes, man. Um, if you're not telling a story or if you're not building a bigger story with that game um, and putting that, you know, in terms of, you know, an athlete's growth or a coach's growth or putting that in con and conceptualizing that with the season, it's pretty much worthless because I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not reading, you know, the 600 word gamer on any site anymore. And um, I think the athletic has done a, a pretty good job at that at, you know, just, we're not going to just write a game story to write a game story. There's a bigger point to it, and it, it leads to something else. When I was coming up, coverage of high school sports um, at my first gig was really important. And, you know, people really sort of rushed to the newspaper to read what happened in the Good Pasture Christian David Lipscomb Academy game on Friday night. Um, do you feel like even with high school sports, the gamer, the traditional gamer makes no sense. And even high school sports people are following via social media. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really pay to have it as a newspaper piece. You know, uh, that's where things kind of shift just because, uh, for a lot of, you know, high schools out here in mid Missouri, it might not have the same coverage that you would get in like a bigger city. Um, I do think we need to put more time and effort into really thinking about what gamers we put out and what games we attend just because, you know, every, every matchup in mid Missouri doesn't matter. Um, so if we're going to spend our time to go out to a game, it should be an important matchup. There should be some type of backstory. There should be a larger story that we can tell from that game. And, you know, I get it. Uh, parents want to see their kids' names in the paper. Uh, our subscribers want to see our, their kids' names in the paper. Um, the kids themselves um, love to see that either online or on the paper, but it's, you've got to make it more than about just the game. Does a high school kid care about having his name literally in the newspaper itself. When I was coming up, you would cut out every newspaper article you appeared in and you put it in your scrapbook and it was a huge deal. Do kids anymore care about, is there any kid under the, you know, any 18 year old cutting out a newspaper? Do they care about the physical paper? Probably yeah. not. I mean, it's it probably, I guess if they have some type of sentimental value, they can frame it. I, it's much more about, you know, let's tweet that story out. Let's get that kid some retweets. Let's get him some noise online. I mean, that's probably tracks a lot more with them. 
but there is something special about, uh, you know, the big stories that I write. I, you know, I make sure to get a physical copy because it does mean something um, to be able to kind of hold that in your hand. And I may sound old fashioned, even though I'm only 22 by saying that. But there is something about holding a physical you know, copy of the paper in your hand. You said something I wrote down. You said um, you learn to, quote unquote, read with a purpose uh, when you're reading articles. What does that mean? Um, I felt when I was younger that. I would just kind of skim through and be like, oh, you know, that's a nice way that he or she put that. You know, I like the way they strung these paragraphs together, but I didn't really think of intent. I didn't really think of, wow, you know, it must have taken, you know, this long to kind of gather that information. Or it, I never stopped to wonder, oh, what type of access did this um, author have? Or, you know, I wonder how she approached the topic the person and, and went about, you know, setting these things up and gathering the information. So it's about not only reading for enjoyment and, you know, I feel like for any an advice to any young writer, if you read and you really don't enjoy sports writing, maybe this isn't the industry for you because you're not going to get the crazy accolades or the money <laughs> that you could get in other industries. But just reading and, and taking the time and kind of breaking down every paragraph and seeing how they're structuring things. And it's about you know, I felt when I was younger, especially in high school and early in college, I just read just to say that I read. But if you're not really taking the time to slow things down and really break things down, you're kind of wasting your time. Like, are you looking for, are you paying attention to word choices, to transitions, to leads? I try my best to, and I'm not a great reader. I don't read as much as I should. Um, I think the biggest thing for me now, and this really kind of started my junior year, is I would read something once, and then I'd read it again. And then we start looking for the things that you talked about, the transitions, the word choices. How do they structure this? Could they have structured this a different way? It's just taking taking a little bit more time out of your day. And I don't do it every day. But I mean, when you do sit down and you want to read something, let's break it down. Let's think about it. All right. So you graduated uh, in 2019 and you are now a, a writer at the Columbia Daily Tribune. How did you get your job? It's honestly pretty funny because... I never in a million years did I think I was going to stay in Columbia <laughs> after graduating. Um, but I had the opportunity. Uh, Michael nicely reached out for me and the Tribune was looking for freelancers, I believe, in August of this year. And I was like, you know what? I've got some free time. Let's figure it out. And I wanted to cover you know local sports because at the time I didn't have a car. So I was like, OK, if I can Uber somewhere or if I could walk to you know Hickman, which is like right down the road from my apartment, I was like, I'll be able to do it and just continued to write for them. It turned from, you know, just Friday night uh, lights uh, every Friday uh, to writing a little uh, writing a little bit more, writing some profiles for them. And, you know, I guess they liked what I was writing because they asked me to you know come on full time. But um yeah, it, going into my last semester, I did not think I would, you know, be staying here. But I'm happy to be still be here in Columbia. Wait, time out. Do you have a car? I have a car now. Yeah, I have a car now. But it was it was a solid three months of uh, borrowing my roommates' cars, or you know, paying fifty dollars for Ubers to get the games, and that's kind of a I had to bet on myself for that and. And I felt bad because I uh, I finally told Kevin after I got the job, I was like, yeah, I'd never had a car the entire time. But now I do after I went and got my car. And he was in there was a feeling I, I think he knew, but I always made myself available. And it was something that I was willing to do. Wait, time out. This is one of my favorite things I've ever heard. You apply for a job and you, you don't have a car and you don't tell them you don't have a car. And you're you're just Ubering places and borrowing a car to cover events. Yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, so uh, let's say uh, my sports editor tells me on Monday, hey, you've got to go to Sedalia to cover a game. It's an hour and a half away. So before I say yes, I'm making five or six phone calls. Hey, can I use your car? Hey, can I use your car? I'm checking to see what the Uber cost is. Uber is like over $100. Can't do that. So I need this car. So it's a, a mad dash for a few hours. Get that figured out. And then once you got that figured out, I'm like, okay, I'll pay you for gas. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you lunch. Like, what do you, what do you want for me to use this car? And so, yeah, it, it, that for a few months was a roller coaster ride, but it all kind of paid out in the end. That is amazing. Wait, what is the most money you paid for an Uber to cover an event? $60. That, that is amazing. That was, <laughs> yeah, so we're we're taking we're taking the money that I'm making, you know, for running stories and putting it right back into transportation. Uh, I'm telling people, you know, I'll buy you whatever you want and plus gas for you to use the car. And I, you know, I I've been blessed to make a lot of friends here in Missouri and, and who really did help me out. Without them, you know, this would have happened. But now <laughs> I've got my uh, 2018 Ford Focus, and uh, she's uh, she's along for the ride for any assignments I get now. Wait, I'm not exaggerating. This is my favorite thing ever. Wait, so you you paid sixty dollars for an Uber to cover what event? You remember? Um, believe it was in Jeff City. It might have been for I think it was a Halai's football game. So it's sixty there, sixty back, or maybe it was thirty there and thirty back, and it's sixty round trip. That makes much more sense. And yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to get it done, and uh, sometimes you got to bet on yourself, I guess, and understand that you know the clip or. Uh, making yourself available is more important than maybe the money you would make in that situation. Man, I would freaking hire you right now just hearing that story. <laughs> I just think, oh, I really mean it. This is what I always tell my students. And the thing you have is you went to Columbia, which is a great journalism school. And I do not teach at a great journalism school. But I always say, like, there are a million people who can write. There just are. There are a million people who can write. There are a million people who can report. There will always be someone better than you. There's always someone better than you who's, as a writer. There's always someone better than you as a reporter. Every, in everybody's case. But you can't really teach hunger and drive and busting your ass. And when I hear someone paying 60 bucks for an Uber to go cover an event that he's probably going to, he's probably losing 40 bucks on covering that event. I just think that's a guy I would want working for me. I mean, I, I don't want to say that I didn't have a choice because I definitely did. But getting denied from countless internships the year before, you feel the clock ticking. And I, I graduated a semester early. So you, you feel the pressure because like you said, there are uh, hundreds of people that can write, maybe even thousands, probably thousands. And we're fighting for a certain amount of jobs. So if you don't make yourself available, what are you worth? Wait, how many internships did you apply for? Uh, Probably five or six. So that's not even a lot. Uh, I know friends uh, who are still in school that are applying for like upwards of 20. And I'm and for me, I was just like, you know, you get that first couple of rejection letters. And that's something that, you know, if I could go back, I would do differently is keep applying, you know, keep putting yourself out there because it, it, only positive things can happen. You probably dealt with it when you're in school or when you're applying for internships or. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the rejection letters, those hurt. I don't want to put you to shame, Langston, but my um, heading into my junior year of college that summer, that previous summer, I think I applied to 150 internships. I got offered one and it was the Champagne Urbana News Gazette. And I'm from New York and I was making, I think, $4.50 an hour. My parents let me take the car for the summer. It was the most miserable summer of my life by far. But when I, again, when I hear the Uber story and when I hear you talking, it just reminds me of coming up and that there are some people, I would say there's a difference between wanting it and wanting it. 
and the people who who want it, like you just separate yourself. I think you have to go through something to kind of put you in that place. Uh, my mom was the first to tell me when I was telling her, oh, I didn't get accepted to this place. I didn't get accepted to that place. And she was like, how many places you applied? I was like, you know, five or six. She was like, oh, you didn't want it bad enough. Because if you really wanted it, you would have done upwards of 100 like you did when you were in college. And you have to sit back and you have to reflect and you're like, she's absolutely right. If I wanted to make sure that I had an internship last summer, I would have applied to anything and everything. And so I didn't want it bad enough. And so, you know, the clock ticking your grad I was graduating in December so now I'm more willing to do something and to work harder and so I wouldn't have gotten to that place if I didn't slack off last year I mean that's just a part of life that's just a part about growing up you hear people my age nonstop, and I'm actually not one of them but you hear people my age nonstop. stop uh, millennials they want it all handed to them they're a bunch of lazy sacks of shit they just they don't care they're on their phone all day um <laughs> you're a millennial is there any is there any truth in that? I'm definitely on my phone too much. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they're spot on about that. I think I was, you know, after The Bachelor aired last night, I was on my phone on Twitter, like reading everything and, and seeing all the tweets and memes and stuff about that, you know, to like 1 a.m. So definitely I do waste a lot of time and I do have to get better with that. But I don't think we're all lazy. I think we just spend our time differently and, you know. And we'll grow out of that. We'll we'll put our time into more important things, I think, later on in life. But I think every generation is like that. They always think that the younger generation could work harder because I look at kids in like middle school now. Or I've got, you know, cousins and I see what they're doing and they're always playing video games and they're on TikTok. And I I can't relate to that. Um, so I just think it's every generation thinks the generation younger than them is, you know, lazy. Before we continue with two writers slinging yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who wrote a beautiful poem to celebrate my 18th wedding anniversary to my wife, Catherine. Are you ready? Sure, I'm excited. Marriage is a thing I don't understand. Two people smell bad, and they drink too much. Wait, what? Respect the artist, please. Go ahead. It all gets old, so go to 503-sports.com, king of the throwback sports merchandise, and buy your daughter a throwback Bill Walton San Diego Clippers jersey, because in the end... Nothing matters. Blah, blah, minuto. Wow. Thank you. You sent me a couple of stories, and there's one that fascinates me. You sent me a piece called Playoffs Turn Lifelong Friends into Rivals, and it's about the Troy football coach, Ryan Nesbitt, and then the Hickman football coach, Cedric Alvis, and their longtime friends, and they had to coach against each other. This ran in October. And I'm fascinated by this story because you did some, I, I, I read through it looking for something that you didn't put in there, and I thought it was really impressive. And I'm kind of wondering why you didn't, because I think nine out of 10 writers would, which is this. Uh, Ryan Nesbitt, the football coach of Troy, is a white guy. Cedric Alvis, his good friend, African-American. And I feel like there's a really lazy narrative that inserts itself into truly 99% of the stories, which is you would think Ryan Nesbitt and Cedric Alvis have nothing in common. And they would be like, one likes potatoes, the other likes blah, blah, blah. One likes country music. One likes hip hop. One is white and one is African. Like it, it's been driving me crazy for 20 years and you didn't do it. You didn't even mention it. And I thought that was like a huge, hugely impressive moment in that story. And I was kind of fascinated. <laughs> Were you tempted at all? That's really interesting that you brought that up because I never even thought about that. You've got two lifelong friends who 
both went on to play college football and now they're back coaching high school uh, football. And then this is, you know, they were on staff together at Hickman and this is kind of like a crossroads for them because they know at the you know end of this game, regardless of who wins, they're both going to be upset because it's like seeing a brother lose across the sidelines. And so that was the story I wanted to tell. Um, their friendship came through sports. So, I mean, in that way, race didn't even matter. That didn't even cross my mind. And it's just funny to hear you mention that because I do think that's lazy. And I do think to to you know, say, oh, you know, you wouldn't think they would be friends. Why is that? You know, if they it's two kids who grew up together, playing football together. I mean, why couldn't they be friends? It's not weird for them to you know be lifelong friends and be best men, you know, at each other's weddings and things like that. When you do that story, what do you are you calling one then calling the other? What are you actually what were you looking for from those two guys and how did you go about trying to get it? I had covered Hickman football the year before, so I had a pretty good relationship with Coach Alvis. And um so I interviewed him first and so I'm going through that interview and I'm trying my best to transcribe it because I did them back to back. I had Nesmit on the phone probably about twenty minutes after my interview with Alvis and I'm trying to see any holes in the interview with uh with Coach Alvis and trying to see, you know, did I miss something here? Uh, my second my second interview has to make sure that any plot holes, any things that I didn't get to, any of the questions that I didn't get to in the first interview, I've got to make sure that those are corrected or I get answers for that in the second interview. And I also ended up um, interviewing uh, Ryan Nesbitt's father, Greg Nesbitt as well. So that's another chance for me to, if I miss anything, let's go back. Let's get these correct. Let's make sure I get these facts. And then from there, it's plugging everything in. And I probably went back to Coach Alvis and Coach Nesbitt probably two or three times after the interview, still trying to plug in holes that I felt that I'd missed. And I think that's probably the hardest part about writing, especially in the newspaper. I've never been given a quote unquote word count, but I do think you've got to be aware of how long things are. And so you're trying to put in so many different facts or so many different an- uh, anecdotes. And there is uh, probably two or three anecdotes that I wanted to put in this that I left out just because the best thing a story can do sometimes is end. So you've got to think about that and you got to think about your readership. And he's like, does the story really deserve to be 3000 words? Probably not. Are you good at tightening up your stuff? I find like with young writers, that's one of the tricky things is, um, the idea that, yeah, it's great. You wrote 2000, but cut it to 1200. Oh, I'm horrible at it. Um, <laughs> I think another clip that I sent you, uh, talking about Jalen Logan Redding flipping from Mizzou to Minnesota. I think the original copy that I turned in was probably 2600, 27. And I think we got that down to 2100. And it was just like small things, uh, where I just elaborate too much or, you know, I feel like another thing with young writers is we think our opinion matters. And we want to put in every little tidbit that we observed. And sometimes, you know, that's not needed. Let's let, you know, let's let our characters or the people in our story kind of speak for themselves. And let's just kind of elaborate a little bit on top of that. But that's the hardest part about writing for me is just I want to put in everything. And I think everything that I write is so cool. And you got to take a step back and be like, no, this is awful. You've said this five different times throughout the article. Let's leave this and move on. It's really funny. When I was your age, I just I was just the same way. How can you how can you cut that? You can't cut that out. This story is embarrassing now. I can't even show this story. This is terrible. And then. The next day it runs and nobody gives a shit. Like nobody knows the person reading the story is just happy. They're they're being written about. And you think like, how dare they change the genius that is 
a Jeff Perlman piece or, you know, that's a Langston Newsom piece and nobody notices. And nine times out of 10, it's better. They're cutting the things that really don't need to be there. And, you know, what does, do the anecdotes matter anymore if you have 10 of them in the story and, and two of them are good? You're just cluttering the copy. For a person like me, I would like to, you know, sometime in the future, and this is a long way down the road, but, you know, I do want to be a magazine, you know, feature writer. So writing, you know, features about high school athletes, I try a little bit harder than when I'm looking at crafting stories because, you know, at a certain point, I would want to write, you know, that 5,000 word article. But as of right now, that's not what I'm doing. So I have to be conscious of what I, what I put in and, you know, I need to take things out. Let me ask you a final question. What is your, um, your ultimate, 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 ultimate career dream? career goal is to do what? Oh, man. Just to write things that matter. I want to write stories that, you know, make people feel good. I want, you know, people to read my stories and and understand the person that I'm profiling, the person that I'm featuring. The best thing that I learned uh, at Mizzou was from Michael Nisley. And he's talking about, you know, we're writing about sports, but we're really not writing about sports. At the end of the day, we're writing about people. And so I hope that, you know, one day I write something that really resonates with people and shows a different side of the person that I'm featuring. And I feel lucky every day that I get to wake up and write. I mean, that sounds cheesy, but you know, the playoffs and you see it on Twitter and everything, but hopefully I'm around long enough to write my perfect piece. <laughs> well, Langston, listen, this has been great. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm betting hard on your career. Anyone who's paying 60 bucks to Uber to cover a high school event, he's got my backing and, uh, and plus you got, your name is Langston. You know, you have some, uh, you have some writing history in that name. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I was I was genuinely surprised when you reached out. I was like, someone's heard of my writing outside of Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, let's do it. I want to thank today's guest, Langston Newsom, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. You can follow Langston on Twitter at Langston Newsom and read his work in the Columbia Tribune. One can listen to Two Writers Sling and Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the amazing MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep riding.